close to these Kentucky people that are walking around here. You know, I've just noticed certain people have gone missing at certain times of the year. Don't know what's going on. All right, Luke chapter 15, if you take your Bibles and you'll turn there. I read recently about some uh, kids. They were asked in their class, you know, uh, how would you define love? And so this was some of the things that the kids said in response. They said this, uh, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Hey, whatever. All right, now, uh, love is an avalanche where you have to run for your life. One kid said this, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. (laughs) Okay, all right. Another one said this, he said, "Uh, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. (laughs) This one, I really like this one. Love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. You know, uh, we're continuing today uh, our series that we've entitled Storyline, where we're looking at the parables of Jesus. People love stories, don't they? You can just remember maybe as a kid sitting down and, and your parents telling you a story when you, when you went to bed at night, and just how much it would just draw you into the story. Well, Jesus was an incredible storyteller. He had an, a remarkable way that he could draw people into the story. And one of the stories that we're going to be looking at today is the parable of the prodigal son. There's probably no parable that has gotten more recognition than this one. Uh, There's something about the story that people just are drawn to it. I don't know if it's the fact that all of us can identify with the prodigal of times in our life where we've been away from the Lord, but he brought us back. Maybe that's why it's such a popular parable. But the word parable literally means uh, to throw alongside Jesus would take these parables and he would throw them out. And what he would do is he would take something that they were familiar with and alongside of it, he would bring a spiritual truth that would bring an impact into their life. And as a matter of fact, it was one of Jesus' uh, uh, ways that he loved to teach. As a matter of fact, a third of all of his teachings, he used parables. So Jesus loved to tell stories. Well, um, this is one of the greatest ones. We know Ralph Ralph Waldo Emerson and Charles Dickens, they both said that this parable is the greatest story ever told. That's a pretty impactful statement. You know, I was reading about a person, this guy, you would be, everybody in here would be familiar with him. I was reading about his past, and this is what it said. It says, he was a rebel, a college dropout, and a party boy. He smoked, he liked to drink, he was a fighter, he was well known by all the police, he had more than one visit to the jail, and by his own admission, he was a classic story of a prodigal. Today, he preaches in front of large crowds like his dad used to. His name is Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham would tell you that he's here today, and he's where he's at because his dad left the lights on. You're like, what do you mean by that? Can you remember as a kid, I, I remember as a teenager, I would be working late at night, and, and my parents still do it to this day. If they know I'm coming into town, uh, they will leave the lights out on the front porch. And one of the reasons they do that is that they have a loved one that's away. And when they turn the lights on on the front, 
then it's their way of saying that they're waiting for a loved one to come back and they're ready to welcome them back. And the story of the prodigal is a story about a father that loves his son. And he leaves the light on and he's waiting for him to come back. And he loves his son with all of his heart. It's a fantastic story, but so many times as we go through these stories, we don't recognize the background of it. In Luke chapter 15, if you were to look at verses 1 and 2, it says that tax collectors uh, and, and sinners were coming and they were having meals with Jesus. And there was something about that that the Pharisees and the scribes, it ticked them off. They couldn't stand the fact that Jesus would spend time with sinners and with tax collectors. They hated the tax collectors. The tax collectors were the traitors. They were the ones working for the Roman government. And Rome had been oppressing the Jewish people. And so when they looked at Jesus and his ministry and they said, this guy hangs out with sinners and with tax collectors, these self-righteous Pharisees couldn't stand it. And so in order to teach these Pharisees and scribes a lesson, Jesus began to tell a series of parables about God's heart for lost people. Uh, these three parables were basically this. He told the parable of the lost sheep, where there was a hundred sheep and one uh, wandered off from the crowd. And you remember how Jesus tells the story that the shepherd went out and found the one, and when he came back, everybody was rejoicing. He also told the parable of a lost coin, where the woman couldn't find it. She swept her house looking for it everywhere, and she finally found it, and she rejoiced. And then Jesus goes into this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, the, the, the story that all of us are familiar with. But what I want us to understand this morning is this. Uh, we read it with a Western mindset. We read it from our culture and our society. And let me be honest with you, that limits us in our understanding of what Jesus taught. Um, you're like, Ryan, well, what do you mean? Well, I can remember that as missionaries, one of our learning curves that we had when we went on the mission field was to learn the culture and the society of the people that we were ministering to. And man, we made a lot of mistakes um, because we weren't familiar with how they would think. For instance, and this is just a few. All right, when we went to Thailand, we didn't recognize that um, the way that you would why, that's the way they would put their hands together. Uh, they would why each other, okay? And based on the age of the person you were talking to would determine how high your hands went up. We go there, we have absolutely, we're just like, why? Okay, yeah, okay, all right. Like everybody's the same. And man, we were just being disrespectful, had no idea about it. Uh, you know, we were told going there that you never prop your feet up on the table because if they see the bottom of your foot, it's like giving somebody, uh, you're telling them that they're number one, Okay. And, and, and so, like, nobody, like, told us any of that. You, like, start figuring this stuff out. You have to be familiar with their culture and their background. Now, that's the problem that we have when you come to the story of the prodigal. When, when we read the story of the prodigal in, in a Jewish mindset in the Middle East, it was a shame and honor society. You're like, what do you mean by that? It means this. Um, uh, they would never do anything that would bring shame or dishonor on their family. If they were to do certain things, uh, they would never try, they would avoid at all costs to do something that would cause their family to be looked at in a negative light. 
And as a result, so, so you understand this, in their day also, the husband uh, was the man of the house. He was the head of the household, and you would do everything you could to make sure he was respected by society and by everybody in the village. And so as you know that, know that as Jesus tells this story, what he's trying to do is this. The Pharisees and the scribes were the self-righteous bunch that thought Jesus shouldn't hang out with sinful people. And so Jesus is unmasking them and showing that they don't know the heart of God. They don't know that God is the type of God that, that he is the one that has joy he celebrates over every lost person that turns their life away from sin and comes to him. It excites, it brings joy to the heart of God every time that happens. And so Jesus began to tell this parable for those, those that were self-righteous. So in the story of the prodigal, if you're going to understand it correctly, know this. In the story, the prodigal son is sin sinners that are going after a sinful lifestyle, and they choose to turn from it and come back to God. That's the story of the prodigal. Then you have the older son. And in this story, the prodigal or the, the older son is this person. It's the Pharisees and the scribes that thought they didn't need God's forgiveness because they were self-righteous. And so in the story, we're going to see how God is the type of God that loves this. He loves sinful people that stray from him. But listen, folks, he also loves the self-righteous that don't think they need his forgiveness. So let's look at this story together this morning. And we'll look into this and we'll see that how each, three, uh, each of the three characters can teach us a lesson about God, okay? The very first one is this. The prodigal son shows us the devastating consequences of sin. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. To read this story, you have to think about the Pharisees and the scribes. When they heard that the son, he broke rank. When you were the youngest son, and you guys, like, in your family, how many of you are the youngest? All right? Like, uh, you ever break rank in your family? All right, there's a bunch of you that did. In their family, uh, what would happen if you were the oldest son, you were the one that got the majority of the inheritance, if the son asked, if the younger son asked for it, you were breaking rank, like you were uh, going above your older brother to ask for that. And so this young man, when he says, like, I want my inheritance, my portion, it was as if he was saying to his father, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to be here anymore. I just want my, my portion. I wish you were dead. That's literally what he was saying. Can you imagine the heart of this father to hear his son tell him that I want nothing to do with you, I only want the things that you can give me? And see, in their mindset, they would have been thinking, uh, you know, how could a son talk to his father that way? That's disrespectful. That would bring dishonor on his family. But you see this young man, he wanted freedom. And he looked at his father as being the one that kept him from getting the things that he wanted in life. As long as he was at his dad's house, he could never pursue the life that he wanted to live. And so there was this sense of, of discontentment. And by the way, for a son to, to ask his father for the inheritance, that, folks, that's breaking the Ten Commandments. It would have been not honoring his father. 
And by the way, in their day, if you dishonored your father, what would they do? They could stone you. As a matter of fact, in their culture, it would have been very common if he had broken that and he had dishonored his father. He could literally, folks, listen, and we don't do this today, but this is how they did it. They would literally, in public, would take their hand and strike the face of their son in front of everybody to show that you brought dishonor on your family by asking that. The thing that would have been remarkable to the Pharisees is they look at this story, and when the son asked for his portion of the, of the inheritance, what was the father's response? Did he give it to him? He took the inheritance and gave it to his son. He didn't argue with him. He didn't fight with him. And, and the Pharisees would have been like, man, what kind of son would ever ask that question to have his inheritance? And second of all, what kind of dad would be willing to give it to him? They would look at that father and they would have thought, man, that father, he is, he's weak. He's passive. He ought to put him in line. He ought to tell him who's in charge of the house. But see, he recognized that the heart of his son was what? It was already gone. And so he, he knew that because his heart was gone, he went ahead and he gave him what he asked. You want to leave? Here's the inheritance. You can take it. Now notice what happens next. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. Notice what he does. He, he grabs, he takes what his dad had given him. And notice it says, he gathered all together. You might circle that word. That word literally means this. He turned everything into cash. If you're gonna liquidate your assets that quickly, what did he have to do? He basically had to go and he had to take this land, what he had been given by his dad, and he had to go and take it and sell it. Listen, it would have been a large estate his dad was extremely wealthy. He had servants. Uh, the, the land and everything else had probably been in the family for years. And here's this son. He goes and he liquidates everything to get all the cash out of it that he could possibly get. And you're sitting here thinking, like, uh, how could he possibly do that? He discounts the price in order to get the money right away. And then, to make it even worse, when he finally gets to the far country, what does he do with it? He wastes it. Did you know that the word prodigal literally means to waste? He went there to that far country to seek out freedom, to pursue the things in life that he wanted. He's like, finally, I'm out from my dad's leadership, and now I'm going to be able to get the things that I want to. I'm no longer accountable to anybody. And so he turned his back on the family, and he began to live a riotous life. What it literally means is that he went out pleasure-seeking, he was living his life by lust. He was saying, what is it that will make me happy? And he began to throw money at everything. I'll buy this. Maybe this will fill me. And, and he began to live by lust, loose living. It was a party lifestyle. In essence, what he was doing was this, folks. He was sacrificing his future for the immediate. Have you ever been in that place where you begin to live a destructive lifestyle? but he's no longer underneath the authority of his father. He pursued and he left all of that behind and wanted nothing to do with him anymore. 
The sad thing is, is that as you continue reading, look at what happens in verses 14 and 16. It says, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want, and he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have feigned to fill his belly with the husk of that swine and did eat, and no man gave unto him. His money is gone. His friends are what? They're gone. A famine hits. It's been a downward spiral ever since he left his father's house. Things continually got worse and worse. And notice it says that he joined himself to a Gentile, a man of that country. That word join literally means glued. When he uh, lost everything and he had no more money, he couldn't, he couldn't immediately go back. So this is what he did. He looked for the wealthiest person in the town and he began to seek that guy out and say, can I do something to, to, to make up, to, to make money for food? He glued himself to that person until he was willing to give him a job. And the worst job that he could possibly get was the job that he got. He ended up having to take care of pigs and for a Jewish person, the kosher, the, you don't eat bacon. Those people, it's terrible. All right, and so here's the thing. He's working with pigs, which for a Jewish person, that, that wasn't kosher. I mean, you don't work with pigs. They're unclean animals. And the Bible says that as he's taking care of these animals, that even though he's working, nobody gave him any food to eat. It got so bad that he had to wrestle these pigs in order to have something to eat. Folks, that's rock bottom. That's when you, you, you chose to seek all of these things out. You thought they would satisfy you. And what does it do, folks? It leaves you empty. And that's exactly what happened with him. His life had been in a downward spiral. And folks, that is the life of a person apart from God. They leave the Lord. They want nothing to do with him because they're seeking out their freedom to try to find the things that will satisfy them, to try to find the things that will fill the void that's inside their heart. But folks, when you finally get to it and you finally get the thing that you want, what do you find? Emptiness. Hopelessness. Folks, it's the wrong well. He found himself trying to fill his life with pleasure, trying to find himself with lust, trying to, to fill his life with the things of the world. But when he finally went after it, and he finally got to that point, the prodigal found that he was totally empty, and he had found nothing that he was really looking for. Folks, you think we live in a world that way? You look at our country and we are so entertainment crazed. We're constantly pursuing one passion after another. And our country literally are, is filled with people that are looking for their satisfaction and they can't find it anywhere. Their life is empty. And folks, as long as you're trying to find your life in the things of the world, you will always find yourself empty apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. He was seeking freedom, and what did he find? Slavery. He'd never found the thing that his heart was longing for. That is the life of every person outside of God. I heard a story about a man named Steve. Very funny story. This guy, he was, um, 
He was poor. He had lost his job, and so he went to the he went to a rich neighborhood in order to try to find somebody way that he could make some money. And so what he did is he knocked on this man's door, and, and the guy was he was really wealthy, but he wasn't a very kind person. He said, "What is it you want? What do you need?" And so uh, what happened was is he, he said, "Well, I'm looking for a job. I want to make some money." Well, the rich man said, "I'll pay I'll pay you ten dollars if you'll paint my porch." And so the guy's like, okay. And he showed him where the paintbrushes were and he slammed his door shut and he said, just let me know when you're done. Slams the door. Well, that man, he been painting for several hours outside and then uh, he finally finished and he went and knocked on the door and he said, I, I just want to let you know that, that I've finished painting. And he said, really? Okay, great. Well, uh, uh, he threw $10 out the door and began to walk away. And, and as, as the man, he said, thank you for the money, and he's walking away, and he said, by the way, I thought I should let you know, it's not a, it's not a Porsche, it's a Ferrari. And then he began to walk away. You guys, y'all have to think about that for a minute. It's not a Porsche, Porsche, it's a Ferrari. Hey, listen, folks, just like the prodigal son so many times the, times the things that we seek and the things that we want, when we finally get it, we find out that it was never the thing that we were looking for. There's some of you here that you're going to suffer the heartache because you're trying to fill your life with the wrong thing. Notice what else happened. He began to turn from his sin. Now, the thing that, that makes this story very interesting is that because he's sitting there in the pig pen, he has some time to think about things, right? You ever been there before? You put yourself in a bad spot, and now you find yourself with some more time to think about it? Well, this is what happens with this young man. He begins to think, I wonder what would happen if I went home. I wonder if he would even take me back. Notice what he says in verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Now, he began to immediately, notice it says he came to himself. He began to think differently, folks. That's repentance. He's beginning to say, you know what? I, I don't think I did everything the right way. And he begins, to, he's saying, uh, he begins to think about the fact, I'm dying of hunger and my father's servants, how are they eating? Man, I, they got plenty of food. They got leftover. Now, the reason why this word is so important, and I want to bring this into, into light for you, is that word for servant that he used was literally a day worker. He said, my father's day workers, these day workers were the ones that uh, every day, probably at his dad's uh, place, his farm, he would hire workers by the hour, and at the end of the day, he would give them their money that they had made from working. And you're like, Ryan, what's the big deal with behind that? These were the poorest of all the workers in their time period. And what he means when he says, my father's servants, they have plenty to eat, he's saying that his dad is a generous man. He's not like most people. You see, my dad's servants, the ones that are day workers, he pays them so well that what happens? They have plenty to eat in their family. And why that's a big deal is that he's saying my dad is the type of person, he's a good man. He's not like the other employers that take advantage of their employees. Maybe my dad will have grace on me because he takes care of even the lowest of servants. Now look at verses 18 and through 20. 
I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no worthy, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy servants, hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Now let me give you some background for this. The scribes and Pharisees, when they heard that the son was going to go back and try to be a hired servant, the scribes and Pharisees would have immediately been thinking, what a mistake. You would never want to go home after that. You should never go back. The reason why is that he had already disgraced his dad. He had already dishonored him. If you come back to the village, you know what they would have done in their day? They would have publicly ridiculed him for the dishonor that he brought on his family. He's like, you think you're going to go back and you think that things are going to be normal? The whole village would have mocked him. It would have been a cultural punishment against him. And so what happens, the son is thinking, he's, he's saying, well, what I'll do is I'll go back and I'll be a servant for my father now. Now, this is incredible. If he's a servant, that meant literally he was going to be a day worker. And he's saying, I, I think I'll try to pay my dad back. That's what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll be a servant and, and I'll make up for what I did uh, when I took my father's inheritance and sold it and went into the land. Hey, by the way, if you're making minimum wage, you think you're going to be able to pay back an estate that you took from him? What's the answer? No way. You will never be able to pay that off. And so what happens here is that he's basically saying this. He's coming to his senses. And folks, one of the greatest ways you know somebody's ready for the gospel and you know how God's working in their heart is this. They begin to change their mind about where they're at. They begin to say what? They begin to accept responsibility for what they've done. And they begin to say, you know what? I don't deserve anything. I think I'm going to pick up and I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to throw myself on his mercy and maybe he'll take me back. Folks, that's a great place to be in. When you begin to take responsibility for your actions, folks, you want to know how to get out of the pig pen? Begin to accept the responsibility behind the mistakes that you've made. He says, I don't deserve it. It's the sinner that turns away from his sin and begins to seek out God. He knows he deserves punishment, but he's going to throw himself on the mercy of the Father. And he knew that everything that he had sought after it had left him empty. You know, I read an article recently about the natives in Africa one of the things that they like to do to trap monkeys is that they'll take a coconut and they'll cut it in half and they'll hollow it out and they'll cut a hole in the top and they'll also put an orange in between on the inside and they'll bring it back together. They'll, they'll seal it up. And what they do is this. They attach it to, with, to a rope and they'll tie it to a tree. And when the monkey comes along, it swings along and it sees that it smells the orange on the inside and the monkey will take its hand, stick it inside the coconut and it'll grab the orange on the inside. So what happens is, is that when they see that happen, the hunters come out after it and as long as its fist is clenched to the orange, guess what happens? It can't get loose and those hunters will come and throw a net over it and it'll be stuck. You know, when we read the story of the prodigal, it's like the story of all of us. As long as you clench your hands to the orange, the thing that you think will satisfy, the thing that you think will bring your heart pleasure and fulfillment, you are caught in the sin. 
you will never find what it is your heart longs for until you learn to release it. Folks, the story of the prodigal is this. At this point, he sought out all the things that the world had to offer him and he couldn't find anything that filled his heart. And it was only when he learned to release it and he said, I've sinned against my father, I've wronged him and I'm ready to go back and throw myself on his mercy. When he released his hand, that is the moment when God's grace began to come back into his life again. Folks, as long as you're in this world and you wanna pursue those things, you'll never find everything that God has for you. You'll never find the thing that your heart longs for desperately. And folks, that's the kind of country that we live in, right? People are clinging to the orange and they're finding themselves stuck in slavery and they're not finding freedom. Now let me show you the second thing that happens. The second person is the father. And folks, this is where the story makes an incredible turn. The father shows us God's divine love for sinful people. This is the part of the story where the Pharisees and the scribes, they would have leaned into the story and this is why. They heard uh, Jesus tell this part of the story that, that the son is going to go home. And you know what the Pharisees and the scribes are thinking? Not that you guys are ever feel this way about your enemies, but this is like they were getting excited because they're saying when the son goes home, he's going to get publicly ridiculed and mocked. People are going to look down on him. They're going to scorn him. I can't wait till he gets back to the house because then his father's going to leave him outside. They're thinking in the back of their mind, well, when he gets back, the father's going to take him outside and the whole village is going to, they're going to beat him up because he had dishonored his father. The Pharisees and scribes would have thought that that was the next part of Jesus' story. But they were shocked when they found out that in this story, Jesus is going to teach them three things about what the father's response is to when a sinner turns from his sin and comes to God. This is what they find when you come back. The very first thing is this, he found a loving father. Look at verse 20. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In your Bible, circle the word a great way off. Now, I'm going to ask you to clue in and, and just kind of focus in on what I'm about to tell you because this is important. That word, a great way off, is a very important word. It most likely, most people think that he's referencing the fact that the father saw him a long ways away, but he was outside the village. He was outside the village. You're like, what's the big deal? Well, stay, stay with me. So the father sees him and he runs towards him. He has compassion on him. He falls on his neck. He kissed him. And that's against their culture, by the way, that the father would ever run. You see, the father had never forgot about the son, though the son probably forgot about him. Notice that the father was the pursuer. He was the one that sought him out. You're like, well, Ryan, he was the one that was walking. Yes, but the father was waiting to see him. And the father was the one that began to run towards him, not the son running to the father. And you're like, Ryan, what's the big deal behind that? Well, the men in those days, they wore these long flowing robes. And in order for the father to run, he would have to take his robe and he would have to tuck it into his belt and he would begin to run. 
And you're like, well, in their day, men, it wasn't respectable for them to show their legs. I think that's a great rule. And then so what he did, he took his, he took his robe and he tucked it into his belt. And he began to run through the village. The word there, run, literally means he sprinted to his son. And you're like, Ryan, what is, why does that even matter? This is so good. The father was running through the village and bringing shame on himself so that his son wouldn't come to the village and have to be shamed himself. The son, the father's running through the village and he's showing off those white legs of his and he's running through the village and everybody's looking at him. Look at that fool. He's an idiot. Why would he ever do that? And the reason why is that he knew when his son would approach that the village would begin to turn on him because they knew about his sin. And so the father decided this, I'll take the shame from my son so he won't have to. I'll have him look at me and I'll bring the shame on our family because I love my son. Folks, listen, that is the love of Jesus Christ, that he doesn't want you to be shamed. He'll pursue you and bring the shame on himself. And so he found grace instead of rejection. The Pharisees would have been like, that's, that's preposterous. No father would ever have done that. They just didn't understand the love of God. The second thing is that he found a lasting forgiveness. Look at verses 21 and 22. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But notice the father stops him. And he says, but the father said to his servants, bring forward the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Notice that he left out the request to become a servant. Why? The father cut him off before he got to it. And here we see that as the father came to him, the father's forgiving him. He could not earn back his father's favor. He could never work for it. The father stopped him before he could ever say it. And you're like, well, what's the big deal? It would have been an insult to his father's love if he said, dad, you know what? I know you want to give me all these things, but I want to work for it. I want to earn it back. Would you just let me work on your farm for a while and I'll try to, it would have been an insult to grace, folks. The father wanted to grace him and he wouldn't allow him to work for it. But notice that, that, that the father, he gives him the best robe. By the way, folks, that would have been his robe. It would have been embroidered. It would have been the father's robe and it was giving him dignity back. And listen, he never cleaned him up, cleaned him up from the pig pen first, right? When the son came back, he came back like what? Just like he was. He was, came straight from the pig pen and he begins to get his dad's robe. That's a big deal. He gives him a, a ring, that symbol that he now had the authority of his family back. He, could, he, he had the keys to the kingdom, his father gave him the sandals. And you're like, well, what's the big deal behind that? Well, slaves didn't have sandals. They didn't have shoes. And so when he gave him the sandals, he was saying, you're my son. You see, the father didn't give him what he deserved. He gave him grace. He gave him what he could never earn, love and forgiveness, a brand new start. Now listen, not only did he find a loving father and a lasting forgiveness, he also found a lavish fellowship. Look at what he says in 23 and 24, and this is what it says. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Wealthy people in that day would have had one fattened calf probably. It was reserved for a marriage. This was a celebration over a sinner that would come back and see uh, this celebration is just like the lost sheep. The, the shepherd found him and he brought him back and they rejoiced. It was like the woman with the lost coin. She found the coin. She came back rejoicing. And the Pharisees and the scribes would have been angry. How stupid of a father to forgive him. He didn't even do anything to earn it. They would have thought this is, this is a, un, a preposterous. Uh, what son would, would sin so great and what father would forgive so much? And you see, that's the reason why Jesus told the story. Nobody understood quite how much God's love is for people that are away from him. His heart is for lost people. You see, the father in this story is really God in Christ. Coming down from heaven to the dust of our towns to seek and to save lost people that will come to him. God's the one that initiates it. He's the one that runs to the sinner. It's not the sinner running to the father. And not only that, but when the father runs to him and meets him before he comes into the village, you know what the father does? He takes the robe of Christ's righteousness and he wraps it around his son so that he no longer sees his sin. He covers it up. And the Bible says in, in Philippians 3, 9, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Listen, folks, when he came through that village, the law told him to stone his son. The law told him that he needed to be publicly mocked and ridiculed. But you know what grace said? The grace of the father said, I'll clothe him, I'll take the shame, I'll wrap him in my righteousness so they can't see it. Folks, that's the grace that we get through Jesus Christ. It should have been our beating. It should have been our shame. But he took it himself. And the day that happens when a sinner comes to Jesus Christ, all of heaven celebrates. It brings joy to the heart of God. Because he brings grace and he gives it freely. You know, I heard a story about a little boy John Ortberg, he tells this story. It's fantastic. It's about a boy named John Gilbert. He was five years old and he was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. It's a disease that it attacks your muscles. And this little boy was made the representative of muscular dystrophy for the state of California. He was flown by the governor to Sacramento. And when he showed up there, they, were, uh, they recognized him as the representative for their state. Well, that night they ended up having an auction. And the boy, he noticed at the auction, this five-year-old little boy, he noticed that there was one item on the docket that he really wanted. He said it was a basketball that was signed by all the players of the Sacramento Kings. All the players had signed it. And when the auction began, the little boy got too excited and he threw his hand up in the air and he bid on it. And the mom put his hand down and said, we can't afford that. And so what happened was, is the bidding kept going up and up and up until there was one man that set a number that was so high that shocked the crowd. 
nobody could believe how much the basketball was going for. The man, he won the bid and he went up to collect that basketball. He went up there and he grabbed it and instead of returning back to his seat, he went over to that five-year-old little boy and he put the basketball in his hands. The boy who would never play basketball a day in his life. A boy that would never pass a basketball to a teammate. But he put it in the hands of a little boy that when he took it, he would cherish it. And folks, when God gave us grace, he didn't give you something that you could earn. You could never earn it. He put something in your hands that he wants you to to receive it. And you say, you know what? I could never earn this, but man, I'll cherish what he gave me. And folks, when you come to Jesus Christ, you find a loving father. You'll find forgiveness and you'll find an incredible fellowship. And you get all of that in Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the story. You see, his grace is so big that he doesn't just extend, extend his grace to sinners. He also extends his grace to selfish, self-pious, religious people. Notice what happens. This is the older brother. He shows us the danger of self-righteous pride. In the parable, Jesus flips the story on the people listening to it. And this is the incredible part. Don't you love it when you set somebody up and Jesus, he's bringing it around at the end. He's, these guys are leaning into his story. And now he's going to put them in the story. And so notice what he does. The father extends grace to the self-righteous. Look at verses 25 through 28. Now his elder son was in the field and he came and drew nigh to the house. And he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of his servants and he asked them, what do these things mean? And he said unto him, Your brothers come, and your father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and he wouldn't go in. Listen, this is the grace. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Why was the older son not there? He was working. You're like, why did he have him working? Well, the Pharisees and the scribes, they love to work. They love to do things. In order to please God, they thought that's what pleased them. This older son, he was out there, he was working. He didn't care that his brother had come home. He didn't care about the joy in his father's heart. So he asked the servant, he says, what's going on? Now notice that he says, uh, he received his brother safe and sound. That word safe and sound is shalom. There's now peace between the father and the son. And it did what? It made him angry. It made him angry. Now, these Pharisees and the scribes, they were the ones that were angry that Jesus would receive sinful people. You remember when he was asked uh, about the parable of the sheep? He said there, there was 99 that didn't need repentance. That was the Pharisees and the scribes. They didn't think they needed God's grace. They thought they were good. But here, this boy is angry because this sinful person comes his brother, and his dad accepts him back. And here's the point. Jesus is literally saying to everybody that God offers grace to everyone. Both sons were lost. There were two prodigals, not one. Both of them wasted opportunity. One happened to be farther from the other one. Maybe another one had more sin than the other one. But both of them needed grace. Notice 
Jesus is saying you're just as sinful as those ones that you look your, you look your nose down at. Folks, listen, we desperately need to hear that in our churches today. Instead of looking down your nose at people, recognize that you need the same grace that other people need. And notice, the father extended his grace. It says, the father came out and entreated him. You're like, why does that show grace? It was uh, disrespectful in their day when a father had a celebration for him to leave the party and to go out and leave his own party that was in his honor and the father left it anyway, bringing shame and dishonor on himself in order to do what? To pursue the older son that wouldn't come in. He also shows grace to him. Now notice what else happens. God extends his grace to both sinful people and self-righteous. And then the father extends a choice to the self-righteous and we'll be done. Verses 29 through 32. And he answering said unto his father, Lo, these many years... I've served you, neither transgressed I at any time your commandment, and yet thou never gave me a kid that I might make merry with who? With my friends. Notice it wasn't with the father and with the son. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him a fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive and was lost and now is found. You know what was happening with the Pharisees and the scribes? This son, when he answered back his father, Father, how could you do that? What did he list off? All the things that he did. Father, I've never disobeyed you. I've always obeyed you. I've always been with you. I've always stayed here. I was the good son. I was the one that stayed by your side. I was the one that kept the farm going when everybody else abandoned you. He begins to list off his accomplishments, folks. And the problem with that is that uh, all of us, when we come to the Father, listen, we come the same way. We need God's grace. And listen, it doesn't matter whether you're a person that's been lost in sin, pursuing all the things of the world, or whether you've stayed by and you've been religious, you've been good, and you've, you've tried to go to church, you've been religious, you look good on the outside. It doesn't matter who you are. We all come to him in one way, by grace, through faith. I have nothing that I can offer him that's good. All I did was the sinning. He did the saving. Folks, listen, it doesn't matter who we are today. Everybody here came to Christ, and everybody that will come to Christ comes the same way. We throw ourselves on his grace and his mercy and say, will you save me? The question is this. Most people ask, did the older son, did he come in? He left it open. He gave an opportunity for the Pharisees and the scribes to respond to the story that they had just heard. Now listen, just a few weeks later, they would crucify Jesus Christ on the cross, signifying that you know what they did with God's grace? They rejected it. Folks, everybody here has the option, the choice of what you'll do with God's grace. Will you accept it and throw yourself on his mercy and his grace? Or will you reject it? 
Listen, but he offers grace to both people that are sinful and far from God. And listen, folks, if you're religious and you're a churchgoer and you seem to be a good person and you, you think, man, I go to church, I do this, I do that, and, and you go down through your list, guess what? God also offers you grace as well. And this is the reason why we don't ever look down our nose at anybody because we all need grace. You know, let me close with this story and we'll be done. It's a story of six college students. They were uh, on a bus and they were riding down from New York all the way down to Florida. And they noticed that there was a man on the bus. He wasn't very well dressed. He was wearing a, a coat, a suit that was too big for him. And they noticed that he looked upset and they asked him, you know, are you okay? He said, I've just gone through a rough time. I've been in jail for the past four years. And... You know, I never really told my family about it. I told them that I was going to go away for a long time, but I knew that it would break their heart that I was away from them, so I didn't tell them. Last week, I knew that I would be getting parole, so I, I actually called them and I, told them, I actually wrote them a letter and I told them about what I had done and how I had made a big mistake. The last thing I ever had told my wife before was that she could marry again and I didn't know what she would do. He said, the last thing that I wrote on my letter was this. If when I'm coming home to you, if you won't take me back, then don't put anything on the tree. But if you'll take me back home, would you take a ribbon and would you wrap it around the tree? And if I see it there, then I'll get off. If I don't, I'll just go on and I'll know you won't forgive me. Those kids, when they heard that story, they could hardly handle the anticipation. It was deathly silent on the bus ride. As that bus made its way and it made the turn, they're coming on the last road before they would get to the house. Everybody was looking out the window in anticipation. And when they looked out, the people began to cheer and they began to cry and they began to tell them that they were happy for him. You know why? Not only did she, she didn't put a ribbon around the trunk of the tree, she put a ribbon on every single branch. And when he saw it, he knew that he had been given grace. Folks, there's not a person in here that won't uh, know what that feels like. We understand the fact is, is that we serve a loving God that throws out a welcome mat for every person. And not only does he throw a welcome mat out, he leaves the lights on so that when you come home, you're ready. Amen. Folks, all of us are here because God left the lights on for us to come home. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you're far from God and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you that today could be the day that you were saved?